Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Well, please remain standing. I'll lead us in a prayer. Our Father, we've been thinking this morning about your amazing love for us. And we pray as we think of that love that we would indeed glory in our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus, the one who bought our life and so the one who should have our love. And we pray this morning that as we think more about that love that you have given to us, that our response would be, as we've been singing, I have no longings for another, I'm satisfied in Christ alone. Do that deep work uh, in our hearts, we pray, through your word and your spirit taking your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, please do sit down. We continue in our series uh, looking through Luke's Gospel, and um, uh, this morning we're looking at uh, Luke chapter 7, uh, the reading that Dave read for us a little bit earlier in the service. Uh, Certainly, I think you'll find it useful if you have it open in front of you. Uh, So if you've got a church Bible, it's page 1036, 1036, Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Where are the young men and women of this generation who will hold their lives cheap and be faithful even unto death? Where are those who will lose their lives for Christ's sake, flinging them away with love for him? Where are those who will live dangerously and be reckless in his service? Where are his lovers, those who love him and the souls of men more than their own reputations or comfort or very life? Where are the men who say no to self, who take up Christ's cross to bear it after him, who are willing to be nailed to it in college or office, home or mission field, who are willing, if need be, to bleed, to suffer and to die on it? Those are the words of Howard Guinness from his book Sacrifice, written way back in 1936. Some of you may have read it. Words like that stir me up to want to be wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus they, they fire me up to be ready to go anywhere and do anything for Jesus. They inspire me to make costly sacrifices for Jesus. The problem is, too often, it doesn't last. I, I quickly find myself slipping back into a half-hearted, mediocre, safe and ordinary life. A, a life that, that, quite frankly, doesn't really look very different to the lives of the moral and respectable unbelievers who live in this part of the world. I know that living a life of extravagant love for Jesus is right and that if I live that way, it will be good for me. I'll enjoy life more. But I find it so hard to live that way. So here's the question today. What will change me? What will motivate me to live a life of self-abandoned love for Jesus Christ? Well, that is the question that is addressed in our Bible reading at the end of Luke chapter 7 here. Come with me, if you will, to verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Jesus invited out to dinner with a Pharisee, a religious leader. There's nothing particularly spectacular about that, nothing worth writing home about, until into this dinner party crashes the most unwelcome visitor, verse 37. When a woman who'd lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and she stood behind Jesus at his feet weeping. 
and she began to wet his feet with her tears. I'll be under no illusions. This woman was a prostitute, well known by all in the town and known only too well by too many of the town. After dark, you'd find her standing on the curb, dressed to kill, well, dressed to seduce, actually. That's who walked into this dinner party. And for us to be shocked as we really should be, we really must lose the image of, if I can put it this way, the happy hooker. Put out of your minds the idea of the high-class escort, as people call them these days. And forget that sort of picture portrayed by Hollywood in in films like uh, Pretty Woman, which, of course, I've not watched. Um, Here, the uh, the prostitute is attractive and warm-hearted. She's a relatively well-adjusted character. Lose that image. We need to get streetwise as we read these verses. Picture behind Jesus a woman with caked makeup, cheap jewellery, an unstable personality, and if you can bear the detail, the syphilitic sores, the arms scarred from the constant use of banned substances. Her face would betray a hardened, cynical, toughened character who'd been knocked back again and again by respectable men who'd used her and abused her again and again. If we can get that picture in our mind, we may begin to feel the shock and embarrassment and the complete outrage of this scene. When this woman walked in, this was no longer an ordinary dinner party. If it wasn't so serious, it would sound like the first line of a joke. Have you, have you heard the one about the Pharisee, the prophet and the prostitute? But it's no laughing matter. Indeed, the scandal of what followed would have been, well, would have given the tabloids a field day. And what made this so shocking was not just that the prostitute gate crashed the party, but what she did while she was there and to whom she did it. You see, verse 38, she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping. Uh, She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. No doubt she'd gatecrashed many a party in her time, and like all good party-goers, she took a bottle with her. But it wasn't a bottle of alcohol. No, she took with her a bottle of perfume, and she poured it all over Jesus' feet. And then she undid the clip that uh, held her hair up, and as her hair tumbled down, she used it to dry Jesus' feet. And then she kissed them, uh, smothering his feet with her kisses. And all the time, Jesus just sat there and let her The entire time, Jesus doesn't flinch. He he reacts as if he's God's gift to her. Can you imagine the reaction in the room? At first, the embarrassed silence, then the the other guests muttering under their breath, tut-tutting. What does she think she's doing? Can you imagine how the Pharisee felt? His dinner party ruined. You ever ever ruined a dinner party? I, I nearly did a few years ago. As we took our places at the table, and I really don't remember how the subject came up, but as we sat down to eat, I was happily telling our host how much I didn't like fish. Yeah, you, you can see where this is going. We, we sat down and I continued yapping on, totally oblivious of the hard stare my wife Caroline was giving me. When that didn't work, Caroline tried to change the subject, but still I continued to tell our host my dislike of almost all fish. I only stopped speaking when I felt Caroline kicking me under the table. I looked at her, she looked at me, and then she looked at the plate in front of me, the plate of smoked salmon. Well, it was embarrassing, but we were with friends and we all got over it. But you couldn't say the same about this dinner party. This was enough to make anyone choke on their prawn cocktail. Allowing a prostitute to wash your feet in the middle of your coco van. What does Jesus think he's doing? 
That's what the Pharisee thought. Look at verse 39. When the Pharisee who'd invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of prophet she, a woman she is, that she's a sinner. Uh, the Pharisee, this respectable religious man, had invited Jesus to dinner because he thought Jesus was a prophet. But now, well, this whole affair called Jesus' credentials into question. Think of the families of the, in the town that have been torn apart by this woman's handiwork. And one of the most disturbing experiences of my life was uh, to visit a family just hours after the husband had admitted to an adulterous affair. As I walked into the house, the pain for the wife and his daughter was tangible. They were distraught with this combination of, of disgust and disappointment. Well, look, marriages had been ruined after men had been lured into this woman's bedroom, spilling their lust under the seductive red light of her boudoir. So is it any wonder the Pharisee taught what he thought what he thought? If Jesus is a prophet, how can he allow this sort of behaviour? How can he allow this woman to touch him? You don't have to be brain of Britain or, or intellect of Israel to know who this woman was. So why did Jesus put up with this kind of behaviour? God, God is pro-family, isn't he? And this woman had flouted God's law, hadn't she? And Jesus' inaction, his, his readiness to allow this woman to throw, himself, throw herself on him suggested he really wasn't a prophet at all. And that's exactly what the Pharisee thought in verse 39. But before you and I come to the same conclusion, just read the next three words in verse 40. Uh, Jesus answered him. Isn't that astonishing? Jesus answered him. Uh, the Pharisee hadn't uttered a word. Verse 39 was all going on in his head. You see it there in verse 39. He said to himself, and verse 40, Jesus answered him. <laughs> that really is a shock. And Jesus knows what we're thinking. What a shock for the Pharisee. What a shock for us when we think about what goes on in our heads. At one minute, the Pharisee was concluding Jesus couldn't possibly be a prophet, and the very next minute, he's realizing he's very much more. The Pharisee thought, and Jesus answered him. That's very scary. And note, too, that until this point, the Pharisee has remained nameless. We've only known him as one of the Pharisees, but now we learn his name. Because from this point on, it's going to get very personal. Verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Uh, tell me, teacher, he said. Uh, two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? 50 denarii? 500 denarii? These are not trifling, insignificant amounts of money. Both are large enough to leave you bankrupt. That's the point in verse 42. See, neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? It's not a difficult question. And Simon the Pharisee got it right. Verse 43, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Now, straight to the top of the class, Simon. The point of this little parable is easy. Those who are forgiven more, love more. Now, the answer to Jesus' question is easy. You and I know the answer, and Simon the Pharisee knew the answer. But look at Simon's reluctance to answer. The end of verse 42, Jesus said, now which of them will love him more? And we read in verse 43, Simon replied, 
I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. I suppose. Simon's reluctance to answer is very instructive. You see, we're getting very personal now. Jesus is not suddenly and out of the blue deciding to pursue a career as a financial consultant. No, this is leading somewhere and Simon knew it. When Jesus tells a story about two people, up to this point, apart from Jesus, there's only been two people mentioned at the dinner party, Simon the Pharisee and the prostitute. And Simon got the point. Simon, two people owed a debt. Simon, you're one of them. Simon, you're in debt. Simon, your spiritual bank balance is not in great shape, you know. Simon, you're a debtor, you're a sinner, and you're up to your neck in debt. Now look, Simon was a very religious and very respectable man. And so this was really hard to take. Jesus said, your debt may not be as great as the prostitute, but you're a spiritual debtor all the same. And you're spiritually bankrupt, Simon. And we can bet our bottom dollar that if Jesus said that to Simon, he'd say it to every one of us here today. But it's not very popular to talk like this, is it? Now, the Sunday Times magazine a while back carried a fascinating article. It said this, People don't avoid sin anymore. They avoid being found out. A spot of adultery is okay as long as nobody gets hurt. Eating yourself stupid is fine as long as your stomach doesn't get fat and your face doesn't turn permanent brick red. And some sins aren't even wrong. Anger? Well, that's just good. Just letting off steam. Pride? We all need self-esteem. Envy? Gives you the urge to get on in life. Then it says this, sins don't really exist as a serious idea in modern life. At best, they are a delicious tease. I reckon that's spot on. It's amazing to read it in the Sunday Times magazine, but I reckon it's right. Sin doesn't really exist as a serious thought these days. We're not really serious about sin. And here's the real surprise. I reckon that's even true amongst religious people. You might not want to call yourself religious, but yes, we come here every Sunday and we publicly confess our sins to God. And Simon the Pharisee would have done that. But very often it's religious people, people who do that, people like Simon the Pharisee, people like you and me. Very often we don't think our sin is that bad. Because we can do what the Sunday Times says. We can excuse our sin. It didn't hurt anybody. It's letting off steam. And here's the thing. Maybe we don't see ourselves as sinners because we can always point to someone else worse than us. I've lost count of the times people have said to me, I'm not a bad person. And by that, they go on to say something like this. I'm not a rapist or a murderer or a paedophile. I'm not like Fred West or Harold Shipman or Ian Huntley. I'm not a banker or a journalist. I'm not as bad as. But that's not the issue. Simon the Pharisee is not as bad as the prostitute, but that's not the issue. There may be people worse than me, but that's not the issue. I am still in Jesus' debt, and I am so far up to my neck in debt, I cannot pay. And that's why Jesus told this little story in verses 41 and 42, to show Simon his sin, his debt. Because the problem with us is we can't see it. All the while that we compare ourselves to someone else who's worse than us, and we can always find someone like that, all the time we're doing that, we don't see our own sin as it really is. We love doing that comparison, but if you want a comparison, look at the comparison Jesus draws between the respectable Simon the Pharisee and the sinful prostitute. 
Verse 44. Jesus turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? (laughs) I love that. Do you see this woman? From the moment she walked in, everybody has been watching her every move. Do you see this woman? Oh, Simon had seen her all right. But had he seen what she had done? Verse 44. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who's been forgiven little loves little. We're so into comparisons. We love comparing ourselves with someone who's worse than us. But there's the comparison that matters. This woman loved Jesus so much. But Simon, he's been a terrible host. Has shown no love towards Jesus. And that's because he doesn't think he's a sinner. That's Jesus' conclusion in verse 47. See right at the end there? He who has been forgiven little loves little. It's the little parable in verses uh, 41 and 42, isn't it? The bigger the debt cancelled, the more your love. And the love of this woman was a love that was extravagant and costly. She took an alabaster jar of perfume and poured it over Jesus' feet. That jar of perfume might well have been the most precious and expensive thing that that woman owned. But she knew she was a sinner. She knew she was a terrible sinner. She knew that in forgiving her, Jesus had cancelled a huge debt. And so she loved him extravagantly and unreservedly. See, when we know we've been forgiven a huge amount, it will be shown in the way we live for Jesus. We will love him. See, Jesus brought us forgiveness by dying on a cross. And as he died, Jesus said these words. You might remember these words in John's Gospel. It is finished. In the original language, it's just one word, tetelestai. It means finished, completed. But here's the thing. In New Testament times, the word tetelestai was also written on business documents or receipts to show that a bill has been paid in full. You paid it and you stamped on it, tetelestai, paid, paid in full. Nothing more to pay. That's what Jesus was doing as he died on the cross. He paid our spiritual debt. We owe him a huge debt that we don't have the means to pay. So Jesus paid it for us. It's as if, uh, as Jesus died on the cross, he took out his checkbook and wrote a check for our debt, a huge amount. Except, of course, he wasn't writing out a check. It cost him his life. And if you want to think about a check, then he didn't sign it in pen, but he signed it in his blood. He said, it is finished, tetelestai. The price is paid. So forgiveness is free, but it isn't cheap. It costs Jesus his life. And that means two things for us as we draw to a close. First, know that you can be forgiven. Whoever you are and whatever you've done. Some people I meet think think this. They think, I'm too bad to be forgiven. Well, look, if this, if this woman can be forgiven. Ah, no, maybe, maybe there is a prostitute here this morning. Or a former prostitute. Someone who's sold their body for sex or or someone who sleeps around and and some might think you've been cheaper than a prostitute. You're someone who has a list of of one-night stands giving your body for nothing. I'm sure there'll be people here who've had sexual encounters of which they're terribly ashamed. Those who've used a prostitute. 
those ensnared by pornography, perhaps on the internet. Some in same-sex relationships, others caught up in an adulterous affair. Be sure those encounters will have left their mark because sexual sin does that. Obviously, in the unwanted pregnancy, the abortion, the guilt, or just the emptiness of having made something that is so special, so cheap. And even if you've done none of these things, there are the fantasies, the, the imagined sex or adultery. Well, listen... Whatever it is, and whether it is sexual or not, come to Jesus and you'll discover there's nothing too bad to be forgiven. And forgiveness is such a wonderful thing to know. So liberating. So life-changing. In the film uh, Pretty Woman, there's a striking example of what can happen if we we don't realise that we can be forgiven. Uh, Edward Lewis, played by Richard Gere, asks Vivian Ward... This morning's reading is on page 1036 in uh, the Church Bibles, and it comes from Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, and we'll be starting at verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to him, and said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this that who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. And we'll live lives that show that. In the words of Howard Guinness, we'll hold our lives cheap and be faithful even unto death. We'll lose our lives for Christ's sake, flinging them away for love of him. 
We'll live dangerously and be reckless in his service. We'll love Jesus and the souls of men more than our own reputations or comfort or very life. We'll say no to self and take up Christ's cross to bear it after him, willing to be nailed to it in college or office, home or mission field, and if need be, to bleed, to suffer and to die on it. Let's pray together. Well, a moment of silence for us to make our own response. There will be some here who perhaps have grasped for the first time today that through the death of the Lord Jesus, they can be forgiven as they turn to him in repentance. Well, if that's you, then use this time, this time of silence, to ask for his forgiveness and to commit your life to living for him. There'll be others of us here who've known that great truth for a long time, but we know we we haven't really lived wholeheartedly for him. And so for us, we need to use this time to ask God to help us to see the depth of our sin and the extent of his forgiveness, that we may live lives that are motivated by that, the cross of Christ, lives that will be of extravagant love for him. A moment of silence then. Help us, our Lord and God, to think often on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for that amazing demonstration of your love, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were your enemies, he acted to bring us back to you. We ask you, please, to help us to be overwhelmed by that remarkable uh, love thrilled that we are forgiven sinners, aware of the depth of our sin that cost the Lord Jesus to go to his death. And we pray the result would be that we would, as we've been singing, glory in our Redeemer. We would know that he has bought our life and he owns our love. And may we indeed, as we've sung, say, I have no longings for another. I'm satisfied in him alone. And may the way we live demonstrate that. And we pray all this for your praise and glory. Amen.